Hello and welcome to another episode of The Company of the Cat, the show where we talk about different stories from the A Song of Ice and Fire books and now House of the Dragon 2, along with the real, mythical or fictional events that inspire them. I'm Bloodbeard's replacement and your host, and today's episode is a theory that I've been mulling over for a long time, although I didn't have enough clues to support it. But House of the Dragon delivered. So, in the opening credits of the series, we follow the paths of different blood trails. Blood wells up from what looks like, well, wells <laughs> with valve gates, and as the streams flow, they split or meet other blood streams, and when the shots are panoramic, we can see that the combination of these trails form shapes that look a lot like roots and webs. In the end, nine different streams empty in one last well, this time one without a valve gate. The space where the sequence takes place is a rocky, cavernous and labyrinth-like place. I think it's the underground levels of the Red Keep, but I'm not 100% sure. In any case, this whole part takes place underground, and I'm saying this because 1. Whatever power pushes the blood upwards and in extension unlocks the valve and starts to flow is even deeper. And 2. When we see the final shot, the nine blood rivers, even though they flow down, it looks like we are looking upwards from the bottom of the well while the streams creep out of it, since instead of darkness and water, which is what most wells have in their bottom, we see a fiery light. So whatever power triggered this sequence is very, very deep. The wells work as passages and gates between all these levels, and the blood is the key, the medium. With the help of blood, the gates open and we get this chain of events that leads to a fiery end. Blood being the means is pretty much common knowledge by now, everybody uses it, and without it you can't really do powerful magic. But I will say that wells being used as passages and gates is also something we have seen before in the A Song of Ice and Fire, more than once. In the Red Keep, when Arya was wandering around, we get this instance. She saw that she stood at the top of a black well, a soft twenty year across plunging deep into the earth. Huge stones had been set into the carving walls, as steps circling down and down, dark as the steps to hell that Tolendan used to tell them of. And something was coming up out of the darkness, out of the bowels of the earth. This well is obviously a passage, it is a bottomless pit that connects different levels, and these next quotes are about the sinkhole in Bran's cave. The back door is three leagues north down a sinkhole. They placed it into the great cavern by the abyss, where the black air echoed to the sound of running water far below. The river you hear is swift and black and flows down and down to a sunless sea, and there are passages that go even deeper, bottomless pits and sudden shafts, forgotten weights that lead to the very center of the earth. The river was 600 feet below, down steep slopes and twisty passages, he said, and the last part required climbing down a rope. A sinkhole with running water underneath sounds a lot like a natural well to me, especially when there is already a rope to assist with climbing in and out of it. And again, the well is playing the role of the entrance. But the most important one is definitely the black gate. We'll find this gate at the bottom of the well. It was white weirwood, and there was a face on it. A glow came from the wood like milk and moonlight, so faint it scarcely seemed to touch anything beyond the door itself, not even some standing right before it. The face was old and pale, wrinkled and shrunken. It looked dead. Its mouth was closed and its eyes, its cheeks, were sunken, its brow withered, its chin sagging. If a man could live for a thousand years and never die, but just grow older, his face might come to look like that. 
The Black Gate, a really important place on the wall that is a key element for the story to continue, is inside a well. The well itself is the entrance. The moment Brand passed through the gate, we saw the end of Brand Stark. We now have Brand the Greenseer. Even on the road and when he first arrived at the cave, we see him think about his life before the accident and how everything seemed like a dream, like another life. Doors and doorways work as passages from one place to another, and in many religions, mythologies, and in literature, are often used to symbolize the transition from one world to another. In Roman religion, we see the god Janus, who was the god of beginnings, gates, transitions, time, duality, doorways, passages, and endings. Janus presided over the beginning and ending of conflict, and hence war and peace. Important gates in Rome were named after him, and they were open in time of war and closed to mark the arrival of peace. And I'm guessing is one of the reasons why we see the gates of the wells in the intro open, one after another, since we have the countdown for the beginning of the war. Janus was depicted with two faces to symbolize the duality of the deity, and this is why he was also connected with the moon, among other things. Pale moonlight slanted down through the hole in the dome, painting the branches of the weirwood as they strained up towards the roof. It looked as if the tree was trying to catch the moon and drag it down into the well. This quote connects three things we see constantly partened up with one another. Wells, slash doors, weirwoods and the moon. The black gate isn't the only weirwood door we have in the series. A narrow weirwood door stood between two slender marble pillars, a crescent moon carved into the white wood. At the top she found a set of carved wooden doors, twelve feet high. The left-hand door was made of weirwood pale as bone the right of gleaming ebony. In their center was a carved moon face, ebony on the weirwood side, weirwood on the ebony. The look of it reminded her somehow of the heart tree in the godswood at Winterfell. The doors are watching me, she thought. The first one is the moon door, and the second one is the door at the house of black and white. Now, I'm gonna say something crazy, I prefer the way the moon door was in the Game of Thrones series than in the books, and I will explain why later. A door can be a symbol of opportunity or one of imprisonment, exactly the situation both Bran and Arya are at this point of the story. The moon door leads you to your death, meaning another world. And Robin says, make them fly, when he wants someone to be thrown, a verb used mostly when we talk about freedom, like in this quote from Arya. If I had wings, I could fly back to Winterfell and see for myself, and if it was true, I'd just fly away fly up past the moon and the shining stars, and see all the things in Old Man's story, dragons and sea monsters and the titan of bravos, and maybe I wouldn't even fly back unless I wanted to. Or the line for Damon's song that reads, we are gonna fly beautifully, freely. But when the word fly is used by Robin, it means death, a place that you cannot come back, most of the times, <laughs> like a prison. And this is why I like the show's depiction more. It's built on the floor like a well in the shape of a full moon. In the books, we see pretty often a connection between the trees and the moon, with the above being some of them. In the first quote from Bran, it looks like the tree is conjoined with the moon physically, symbolizing that the two are somehow connected. At the black gate, the weirwood door is glowing with moonlight and has a face. In the last quote by Arya, the moon of the weirwood door like the face of the weirwood in Winterfell, is watching her. A well is a black hole in the earth, the exact opposite from a full moon. 
And we have plenty of times where the moon and wells are described similarly, it depends on the light and place we have. When Bran finally lifted his head around to look back up the shaft, the top of the well was no bigger than half a moon. The moon was a black hole in the sky. And the same thing goes for the trees. Weirwood have many descriptions that are similar to the moon, mostly color and glow-wise. The light of the moon painted the limbs of the weirwood silvery white as she made her way towards it, but the five-pointed red leaves turned black by night. And both the trees and the wells do a very similar job, actually. They work as a getaway. They are the links between the underground, the surface, and the sky. Weirwoods absorb power from somewhere. They themselves don't look like the power source to me. At least the simple weirwoods that we have here and there. They are a way of connecting with the source. The strongest trees are rooted in the dark places of the earth, wisdom deep as the roots of ancient trees. These quotes by Bloodraven hit that the deeper the roots, the more powerful the tree, meaning they are closer to their power source. But even without these quotes, it makes sense for the power that the trees use to come from underneath, since the roots perform the majority of the vital functions of a tree, and they absorb, store, and transport all the essentials. Plus, the root system anchors the above-the-ground part of the tree. The deeper and wider the roots, the more stable and powerful the tree. The weirwoods are a different take on the Tree of Life World Tree archetype, and they are heavily inspired by Yggdrasil. The branches of Yggdrasil extend far into the heavens, and the tree is supported by tree roots that extend far away into other locations. Before Bran went into the tree for the first time, we see him having a conversation with Leif, and she said this. Men should not go wandering in this place, Leif warned them. The river you hear is swift and black and flows down and down to a sunless sea, and there are passages to go even deeper, bottomless pits and sudden shafts, forgotten ways that lead to the very center of the earth. This is very similar to the three wells at the roots of Yggdrasil. The one I want to focus more, though, is the well of Mimir. Poe's Edda suggests that the water of the well contains much wisdom, and that Odin sacrificed one of his eyes to the well in exchange for a drink. Not only it gives more insight on the wisdom deep as the roots of, the, of ancient trees, but is also similar to what we know about blindness and knowledge in the books. Arya became blind, but at the same time she started to skin change while awake, and not only Nymeria. Blood Raven has a root in the place his eyes once was, and when people go to all these underground mazes, they go crazy from the stuff they see, thus they need to go there blindfolded, or at least not look. Boas, also called the Blind God, is a deity that was once worshipped in the Valyria Freehold. His followers settled on the main Isle of Lorath, and their priests wear eyeless hoods because they believed that only in darkness their third eye would open, allowing them to see the higher truths of creation that lay concealed behind the illusions of the material world. The singers carved eyes into the heart trees to awaken them, and those are the first eye a new green seer learns to use, but in time you will see well beyond the trees themselves. The trees help the green seer to project their spirit, but it's not the only way, it is an easier way to learn how to fly. Your spirit is free to go wherever you want, like the moon that is always in the sky and visible from all over planetos. It looks like an eye that looks down on Earth. A blind eye that looks down on Earth. Formed a single realm ruled by the god on Earth, the only begotten son of the lion of the night and the maiden made of light, who travelled about his domain in a palanquin cart from a single pearl, 
and carried by a hundred queens, his wives. This pearl palanquin sounds like a fancy description for the moon. The moon is always visible night and day, watching the earth while traveling, and it looks like a pearl. At first I was thinking the wives were the stars, but unlike the moon, they are not visible during daylight. And this is why I think it's about the trees. Picturing the scene Bran saw the trees catching the moon, it looks like horses carrying a carriage or hands holding the palanquin up. The moon is even described as carved, a word used often for wooden objects, and palanquins were often wooden. If the moon was carved out of something, it would be from weirwood wood, which often is described white as the moon and glowing with moonlight, making the palanquins and the wives from the same material and even more fitting for each other. The moon is a simile for the spirit, I think. It's everywhere and lives forever, and even though it's visible during the day, it glows and is stronger when it's dark. This is why people that had near-death experiences or are unhealthy tend to have these abilities, and green seers are sickly people. Every song must have its balance. The body may be weak, but the spirit isn't. The god on earth and the eye of the god are the person and the place where the first human freed their spirit, I think. The moon is in every myth about the long night in the known world, is the nexus between light and dark, day and night, and between every form of magic we have seen. It's the medium between the stars, often associated with the others and are visible only at night, and the sun, close to fire, visible during the day, and father to dragons. The moon cracking because of the blood betrayal means there was no more balance, magic was used for unethical things, it was not about freeing your spirit anymore but gaining power and material goods. The moon, often paired with figures that help through the long night, is there to light the way and help during the darkness. And here lies the difference between other forms of magic and what the Valyrians did. Valyrians used magic only for materialistic purposes and to dominate others. They built a huge empire based on magic and slavery. Hell, the dragons are fire made flesh, and Valyrian steel and glass candles are magic inside materials made by humans. They did fly, literally, not only their spirit. Bloodraven told Bran that he couldn't intervene while green searing, it wasn't his place. The spirit is free, but physically they are restrained. I mean, Brynden has a tree growing in and around him. On the other hand, Valyrians did whatever the hell they wanted. They based a whole as freehold on slave sacrifices. Viserys told Alicent that Valyrians work their magic close to the Fourteen Flames. The Fourteen Flames are volcanoes, and volcanoes are fiery wells. The power they provide is again from underneath, but is very powerful, very unstable, and unpredictable. And in the end, they got Icarus. This also gives an extra meaning to the opening credits, because blood getting spilled into a fiery well is very close to what Valyrians did, blood sacrifices to the volcanoes. That's all for today's episode. I am so sorry about my voice in this one, but I have a problem in my ear and it hits my nostril and throat too, so yeah. Anyway, leave your own theories about the episode and whatever else you want to talk about in general on my social media. If you stuck till the end of the episode, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, then tune in for the next one. Bye.